Hey everybody, welcome to the mood board. Since we are well into summer, many of you may be looking for new looks or music to listen to, to make pandemic life a little bit more manageable these days. So I hope I've got you covered. A few months ago, I decided to catch up with two black tastemakers who live abroad to get their perspective on quarantine life, basically just figure out, you know, how are things going since we last spoke? First up, we're gonna talk to Marcus J. Moore, who I must admit is a very old friend of mine and at this point is just like family. He is a music journalist and author of the upcoming book, The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. And then on the second half of this show, we're going to follow up with illustrator and author Andrea Pippins, who I have been a big fan of for years. And we're going to learn about her recent children's book called Who Will You Be? I'm so excited to catch up with both of these tastemakers because their careers have really been on the glow up these past few years. Now I want to take a second to talk about our sponsor, Morfolio Board. When I first started my interior design business years ago, I started using the Morfolio Board app because I was on the road a lot doing design consultations up and down the state. I needed everyday design tools that would easily let me translate my ideas into mood boards to present to my clients. Now in the new normal, the Morfolio Board app goes everywhere with me from my iPhone, iPad, to my Mac. Go to AngelaBelt.com backslash the mood board podcast and use the link on my website to get one month free of the Morfolio board app. You will not regret it. And after that, it's just $11.99 a year for a pro subscription. On that note, let's start the show. Hello. Hey, what's up, Angela? Hey, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Just writing as always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm sure right now we're crazy since um, when we're indoors, we're all listening to a lot of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's part of it. But I also think some of it is like this whole like, there's this uh, interest because of the book coming out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now all of a sudden there's this new crowd of people who are just discovering what I've been doing for like the past 10 years anyway. So. Right. They're like, this is a overnight success. I've never heard of you. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I might have been around for a little while, but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I complain about that all the time. So, you know, I'm trying not to whine. So, but uh, I'm good. I'm good. Just chilling. You now. (laughs) There you go. Yes. I'm just trying to live in in the moment, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so this podcast that I'm working on, so it's a series just about like where are the tastemakers now? So just going through the series of 28 Black Tastemakers, the last time I did a write-up with you was four years ago. And so I know a lot's changed. We're also family, so we still keep in touch. We haven't not talked in four years. Um, but I think it'll just be good for our listeners <laughs> to be like, what's going on? Um, so right now, where are you? Where are you living right now? Uh, right now I'm in Nairobi, Kenya. And how, how is it living in Nairobi right now with the pandemic? Like what are the stay at home orders there? 
you know, here it's it's actually kind of chill so far. Um, I think last time I checked, we were up to like 150 some odd cases. Um, okay. And it's still fairly chill out here. But at the same time, the local government decided they were going to go extreme early. So okay. when we had when we had 40 cases, they instituted a curfew. So now it's like you can still get stuff delivered. You can still go out and about. But now you have to have a mask and gloves on. Mm-hmm. And you have to be in the house by seven o'clock. If if they mm-hmm. if you get caught outside at the seven, it might be a wrap. Like <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I don't want to find out what happens to you. <laughs> Man, I saw the footage. Yeah, there was just some police officers who were like assaulting um, oh. a homeless person. So oh. I'm like, oh man. So uh, like, yeah, um, stay indoors. M- yeah, staying indoors. Me and Mabinsi been in here shoot for uh, like a month, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Time is starting to blend together. We've been in for a month. Brooklyn's on spring break, but I told her she's still learning. Um, so she slammed <laughs> the door on me and said, this is oh, really no. spring break and a lot of drama. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, well, let's get ready to read some compare and contrast context. And uh, <sighs> we're all doing the best we can right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah. So I think one of the things I wanted to talk to you, too, I feel like I talk to, you know, a lot of black people, they talk about oh my God, I daydream of that Marcus Garvey dream of moving back to Africa, you know, returning to the motherland. And you actually been able to do that moving from New York to Nairobi. But what has your experience been like as an African-American living in Africa? You know, you'll be able to get this, um, you know, you and Leon will be able to get this before a lot of people where in New York, especially in Brooklyn, in that area of like Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, yeah. You know, it's it's still it feels like a neighborhood, you know, um, and it, you get to know a lot of people, mm-hmm. but you can still maintain some level of invisibility, you know. Mm. Um, but so, you know, I'd gotten used to that. And then when we moved out here, I didn't realize just how much the locals defer to Americans. Yeah. You know, and mm. that's been the weird thing. That's been the weird, weird thing for me, because it's like when we walk down the street, we identify as local, you know, Mabinti mm-hmm. more than me. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so, and, and then, you know, a couple of times they'll come up to us and start speaking Swahili and we're like, no, sorry, we don't know. We don't know what's going <laughs> we're on. We're working on that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> then they hear the accent and then they just start, you can just tell that they, they start treating you differently, hmm. you know? And I, and I have an example where like, uh, we're members of this co-working space called Ikigai. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one in particular where, you know, they have a lunch buffet where you got to pay for it and it's not anything crazy, but then like we started getting free food, oh, you know, yeah. like yeah. free dessert. <laughs> yeah. So I'll look around, I'll look around and it's like, oh, okay, well clearly everybody's getting a piece of cake and some fruit, right? Nope. Right. Just me and Mabinti. Huh. So, yeah. It's so that part's been kind of, kind of crazy. And then when we're in Ubers and we tell them where we live and then yeah. when they, when they pull up on the apartment building, they're like, wait, what? Like, hold on, wait a minute. Well, y'all live over here. Like that kind of, hmm. so that, that part, I say all that to say, like in New York, you know, it, it's been cool. It was cool to, you know, still be a little invisible, but still live in a nice neighborhood where it's yeah. here there's this assumption that you are like, I don't know, like we come from money or, or yeah, something. Yeah, there's some like privilege we... associated with being an American. That's it, exactly. And so me, I don't want the the, the privilege. You know, yeah. I don't want that treatment. And yeah. so I've been kind of fighting against that a little bit. 
Yeah, you're like, I'm from Maryland. <laughs> like, right, dude, exactly. I don't need all that. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yo, man, like, now nah, I don't need the free food. Nah, I don't need the, the free coffee. You know, like, how much is the coffee, bro? Right, like, I want to pay. I'm, right, not, like, I'm not expecting any of this. And I didn't Yeah, ask. you know what I'm saying? So that, that's been the weird part for me so far. <laughs> I know. And you guys have been out there for over, has it been a year or almost a year? Actually, you know what? We're coming up on a year next month. We moved wow. out here in the middle of uh, May. And um, yeah, we're actually about to move to another apartment in the building. But um, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been a year going back and forth. I got to say, I'm like, yeah, you keep flying back and forth. But I mean, it's change. It's good change. But it, I mean, it is a big difference. I think feeling like that, that would be just kind of unusual some days. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. And, um, you know. Because I just don't like that much attention. Yeah. And when it's thrust upon you like that, it's like, all right, this is a little weird. Give me back to Clinton Hill where <laughs> somebody will cuss at me for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people are just loud for no reason. Let like, me get I back need to a that. little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, go to Luigi's or something. So, yeah. So, um, let's talk about your new book. Um, when is it going to be released? Let us know the title. And can we pre-order it now? Yes, it um, it comes out October 13th, 2020. It is called The Butterfly Effect, okay. How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's available for pre-order now. It went up in early February and um, it's on Amazon. It's on SimonSchuster.com. It's, uh, those are the two main ones right now, I would say. Oh, and also on Apple Books. But the easiest is probably just going through Amazon or SimonSchuster.com. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the thing now. So one, congratulations. Such a big deal. I've known you for very long. And to be at a level where you're writing a book about somebody like Kendrick Lamar, I mean, it's huge. And then it's Thank so you. funny. I'm like, we won't forget the launch date because that's also Leon's birthday. So we're going <laughs> to put it all together. We'll all celebrate, <laughs> hopefully not virtually. We'll see. Um, but let's talk about like what inspired you to write this book. You know, that was like, this is something I want to talk about. Yeah, well, I guess I'll go back a little bit. Like, even when I was still living in uh, Hydesville, um, a lot of friends who I'd known from the scene, they just kept leaning on me to write a book. You know, they were like, man, you need to write a book. You're writing these little articles. These are cool, but man, you need to write a book. Hmm. And I just kind of shrugged it off for years. Like, ah, no, I don't think I have that many words in me or whatever. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) And then finally, it was just this random, it was like a random day uh when I was in Brooklyn, I had already I, by then I was already senior editor of Bank. Yeah. And um I was just kind of literally walking to lunch. I was listening to uh to Pimper Butterfly on headphones. And I was like, man, there's a book in here. Like I'm I'm a sucker for like fly on the wall stories. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, man, you know, what was Kendrick like and who walked into the studio and who played what and that sort of thing. And um, so that's essentially where the idea came from, was just me being in love with that album and wanting to explore that album. And so I ran the idea past a friend of mine who's an author. Yeah. And he was like, uh, no, nah, you need to broaden that out, man. Hmm. He was like, that's a good idea. But you need to you need to talk to somebody else. And so long story short, he put me in contact with uh, with a friend of his who was a senior editor, Simon Schuster. Hmm who um, started sending me book proposals. And then on every book proposal, I noticed there was this one guy's name, this guy named William Loturco, mm-hmm. who was a literary, a literary agent. 
And I sent them a cold email one day. And I think it was like February, February 2018. And he was like, yeah, let's meet up for coffee. And so before we could even sit down with our lattes, he was like, yes, let's do oh, this. Oh, all right. So, <laughs> like, oh, I thought I was going to have to warm this up during the coffee talk, but he was already sold. No, nah, he was sold. He was like, no, nah, let's do it. You know, and um, so, yeah, over the next, I would say over the next month, I wrote a 40-page proposal, mm-hmm. and we got a deal locked in by late March 2018. Wow. Yeah. And so how was it like when you got to interview Kendrick? Like, what was that experience like? I, I knew early I wasn't going to get a chance to talk to him, but I talked to everybody else. Hmm. Okay. Which, again, is sometimes how it goes, too, right? Where it's sort of like once you kind of get that environment around them, the cosmos spinning around him, it's kind of interesting to get that perspective, too. Absolutely. And that's what it was. It was like and they were they were really gracious about it because I've heard horror stories from people where, you know, they say, oh, I'm going to write a bio about this artist. And then that artist will hop online or they'll have people hop online and say, hey, if you get contacted by this writer, don't talk to him, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. So they didn't do that. Okay. They, they said up front, like, hey, he's a real quiet dude hmm. who's working on this album. Yep. But you can literally talk to anybody else. And so, um, yeah, they were, they were really gracious about that because I would hope that once you get to that level of fame, yeah. that you, you know who's writing about you. Like, you would at least Google somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right. One day you're like, hey, that book has my face on it. Seems to be telling right, my yeah, story. Yeah. I, I'm sure he's tapped right, in. So, and I agree. Like, if yeah. he wasn't cool with it, he would have stopped it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he would have stopped it early, too. Yep. So. Yeah. No, nah, but he. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. So hard when we're talking like this without face to face. So I guess I want to segue to my next question. What are your thoughts on music right now with all of these DJs and rap battles, everything kind of happening through Instagram social media and you're kind of seeing these online concerts which get up to like 800,000 people listening you know which we could never do in person you know since there's we don't have spaces that big um how's it been for you with all these albums dropping so quickly it's been you know it's it's actually been kind of it's been kind of good you know on the IG front because i think it's getting back to a certain level of DIY in music mm. where for the first time in a long time, everybody's on the same level because with the with the spread of this virus, no one's going anywhere. Yeah. And so now you're getting to a point where, you know, whether you're, um, you know, the RZA or DJ Premier or D-Nice or whoever, um, people are just on their phones looking at you. And in turn, they're in the house, too. So they're like, well, I might as well just spend some <laughs> records and just, you know, <laughs> pass the time or whatever. So I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. I'm I'm going to be interested to see how it's going to turn. Like w- once we all get back to normal, whenever that is, yeah. like, are people still going to be going live? Mm-hmm. Are they going to? Is IG going to find a way to monetize it? Are these artists going to find a way to monetize it or whatever? And I'm thinking so. I think D Nice um, opened up. I think he he's a he's a pioneer in that regard because mm. no one was really doing it on a big level right. before D Nice was. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's been on that end, it's been great. But on the other end, I cover a lot of like music that's so-called underground. And a lot of those release dates are being pushed back. You know, even today, I got an email from a publicist Mm. on a record that was supposed to be coming out Friday. It's like, well, because because of the virus, the um, 
it's been it's, it, the album has been mixed, so it's coming out in June. You know that kind of thing. So um, I I feel like it, it's hitting the, the underground a little harder mm. than it's hitting mainstream artists because they got to push this stuff back. And yeah, you know how do you tour? How do you mm. yeah? How do you, you get know, your name out there? How do you get your name out there, especially when you know you have people like you have other people who are who are kind of sucking up all the time. Yeah. How did you know? Why would people check out your live and they can go check out another live? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good perspective. It is kind of like yeah, when you're just trying to get on the come up, and right now right. you're like, oh well, this guy's taking over and he's so huge, he's going to listen to me. So, what are some music it, recommendations yeah. you feel like you have for us now, since we're all inside? <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it kind of on earth because i know my ear is a little in space somewhere so (laughs) i'll just i'll try to chill a little bit but no um on the jazz front there is um this record that came out by shabaka and the ancestors it's like the spiritual jazz album Hmm, okay but it's very uh it's danceable as well and it's called uh we are sent here by history Hmm. um so that's the one i've been playing i've been playing a lot of um uh, this other guy, this bassist named Junius Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came up with a record called Ism that was really good. And uh, Thundercat actually just came out with an album last Friday um, called It Is What It Is. It's really tight, too. All right, all right. These are ones, you know, I'm going to text you afterward and be like, can you rewrite everybody's names and then I'll search them? <laughs> Which would be good. Yeah, yeah. So that's. Those are the those are the ones that I would say are more palatable because I've been playing some other stuff that's kind of crazy that I like, but I would never subject <laughs> subject people. Like your ears aren't ready because <laughs> I know it how yet. that You're is. Not there yet. <laughs> yeah, I even I even put it on headphones and here. It's like nah, I don't want my poor wife. I don't want to keep hitting her with all this crazy. Yeah, stuff. people are like I'm not that open to that. I can't dance to that. I don't know where we are. No. <laughs> No, she's nice. She's nice. She'll listen for a little bit, and then you just see her earbuds <laughs> quietly come out. It's funny. It's like, that was enough of that. <laughs> it's like, okay. That's what I do to Leon. He just gets too deep into editing. I'm like, all right, now. I just somehow disappear, get a cup of tea, and I don't come back. I'm like, that's too far. Not going that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. Yeah. What do you feel like is one of the weirdest things you've adapted to with Cabin Fever? Yo, here's the crazy thing. I'm a I'm an introvert anyway, mm-hmm. so I haven't I haven't had any struggles at all, you know, because I'm like a cat, man. <laughs> just like put me by a window <laughs> and I'm good. I could just sit there all no. day and like, yep, writing. I'm I haven't I haven't it doesn't hit me hard at all. Um, so I don't know if there's anything that I adapted to. If there if there was anything though, like, yeah. Because we can't go anywhere. You can't go to the store. You have to order things. Yeah. And when I was in New York, I was so, like, anti-Instacart. It was ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, Mabenti would be like, no, let's order some stuff. And I'd be like, no, the store is right down the street. I'll just walk down there and go get mm-hmm. it. But now I'm like, walk. I ain't walking anywhere. <laughs> let, me just order, let me order this food. I ain't walk. No. <laughs> you know so I, I don't know if that's necessarily weird but I think that is definitely the thing I've I've turned the corner on like even going when I go back to Brooklyn same thing like oh, I don't feel like walking to um, the store today I think I'm gonna just chill and order some stuff that's in terrible you need to get out okay you need to get out because I'm like I can't take Yo. it I feel like when I go outside like my lungs open up I'm like oh my god I'm outside 
I'm getting air. That's true. I put my feet on I grass. Just, I'm like, grass. I miss grass so much. I think I'm going to become a tree hugger when this is all done. I'm just going to like hold a tree and be like, we made it. We made it back to each other. I'm like, I need to be outside. I'm not made for the indoors. Yeah, I mean, we said the same thing. When we finally get back to either D.C., Maryland, or New York, we're just going to hang out, yeah. hang out outside, and that'd be it. But I'm going to go to the coffee shop first. I'm going to get a latte, and then I'll take the walk. Oh, true. Yeah, total. Like You talking about doing that in Connecticut or New York? Anywhere. I just need Anywhere. this pandemic to be lifted so I can go to the nearest coffee shop. I'm like, I need that. I'm going to order a venti for the first time in my life, and I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> hey man we all got goals <laughs> i ain't mad at that i'm not mad at that whatsoever so this is my last question um what do you feel like has been one of the consistent things throughout your career that's kind of helped you continue to grow um with so much change i feel like in all the opportunities that you've gotten what has been one of the constants that you kind of focus on i focus more so on the discipline mm. you know i try to if nothing else I try to be disciplined because as much as I love writing, there are definitely some days uh, where I don't feel like writing anything. I don't feel like listening to anything. You know, I just want to chill, watch something on Netflix or TV. Um, But those are the days when it's like, okay, well, if I'm not writing, let me let me go in on the research or uh, let me go in on listening to something I need to be listening to. I I, I've learned to just stay in constant motion Mm. And I feel like that's helped me because I found in writing this book that I, I essentially had to pull from everything I've done over the course of my career because there's like some some hard news in there. There's some writing about race relations. Mm-hmm. There's writing about education, crime, you, you name business, everything. And so I had to tap into all of this stuff to pull the book together. And so um, I think just the fact that even on days when I didn't feel like doing anything, that I still did something. I feel like that muscle was already activated and I just kept going. And that's what got me through the, that's what got me through the word count. And that's what gets me through all these articles that I got to do now. It's like, okay, well I have five different deadlines, but let me just write this one story today and then let me chill. Okay. I'll write this next story tomorrow. Mm, like mm-hmm. I have, I have to break it down like that. Otherwise I'll just go crazy because the amount of words I have to write in a given week now are pretty insane. Mm. So um, just staying disciplined is what helped me a lot. Yeah, taking it in small bites. Got to. I'm like, which I feel like is for all of us right now. Like every day, just take it one day at a time. Have a to do list and see what you can get done. That's it. And then don't feel guilty if you don't feel like doing anything. It's okay. Like uh, if you just feel like vegging out or going to sleep, it's cool. You know, the work is still get done. Maybe uh, you just need to listen to your body. You know, see, I'm bad with that. I feel the guilt. (laughs) (laughs) I got over that quick. Oh, man. When I was writing a book, I got over that fast. I was like, I'm tired now. I'm going to write this joint tonight. (laughs) I don't feel like doing this. This is craziness. It's true. 80,000 words. Are you serious? Um, yeah, I agree. I think when you hear that number in your mind, you're like, I'll never get to that. Bruh. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was crazy. It was it was crazy. <laughs> Even when I look back at it now, it's like, I don't know how I did that. Hmm. that was, well, it must have been the madness. snack breaks. It must have been the TV. <laughs> it was that it was it was uh and honestly it was kenya like i wrote a lot of it here hmm. i didn't realize just how much i needed this city until i got here and i gotta give credit to Benzie for that she was the one who walked to see your apartment yeah. 
it was like, yo, what do you think about moving to Nairobi? And, um, you know, at the time I was so like, I still had Brooklyn in my system. So, you know, the fact that we moved out here and adjusted, I, you know, that's, uh, I got to give credit to Nairobi, yo. They, they really held me down. Hmm. All right. So maybe we just need to all get a new place to go. I think travel too always really helps kind of open up like the third eye of exploration. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it wasn't on neither one of our radars, you know, moving out here. So. Yeah, it's just it's just how things lined up. I'm I'm thankful for it. Hmm. Well, all right, Marcus, that's all my questions. All right, I hope I answered <laughs> yes, them. Yes, you did. <laughs> well, on that note, let's take a break. Working virtually is quickly becoming the new normal for everyone. Frontier designers like me, this means using e-design to share our visions with clients, but finding the right tools online to communicate this vision can feel like a daunting task. You can go through the legwork of finding all the products across multiple websites, and then go through the creative process of laying them out in applications like Photoshop or InDesign, carefully removing backgrounds and resizing images. Or you could use the Morfolio board app to link to all of your pins on Pinterest and generate a mood board in no time. Go to AngelaBelt.com slash the mood board podcast and use the link on my website to get one month free of the Morfolio board app. And if you like it, which I know you will, then it's just $11.99 a year for a pro subscription. So I was really um, excited to interview for lots of reasons. Um, but one of the big ones is I really wanted to do a new series um, on the podcast called, you know, Where Are the Black Tastemakers Now?, um, because there's so many people that I talked with, you and I, we really did that, that Black History Month questionnaire really almost, it was actually four years ago in 2016. Um, and I feel like I haven't talked to you in years and just watching, you know, where your career's gone. Um, and now that you're living abroad and all these things, I think there's, there's so much to catch up on. Um, yes. so I was excited that we could connect. <laughs> yes. You've been very you. busy. Thanks for being so um flexible with like timing and you know, <laughs> scheduling this so oh yeah no you've yeah. got to so just tell me a little bit you know where are you now I feel like the last time I talked to you you were living in Baltimore okay so yes I was living in Baltimore and um it was 2015 I met my husband mm-hmm. and we had been well he was visiting the U.S. and we you know went on a date and instantly fell in love <laughs> and <laughs> um but he you know lived in in Stockholm so we were you know going back and forth for a little bit and then finally decided that um well I decided that I wanted to move here just to yeah. you know see how things would go and you know long distance is not my thing for a relationship mm-hmm. so we just thought let's yeah. give it a try I was the one who was working for myself mm. So it was a lot easier for me to make that move. And, you know, with the U.S., the visa, work permit, all that stuff would have been really complicated yes. for him. So yeah. I made the decision to move. So um, I officially moved to Sweden in 2017. Hmm. And, I mean, you know, it was a lot of back and forth between them, but I got my permanent residence in 2017. All right. Um, so... And just to back up a little bit, so 2015 was when I left my um, full-time teaching job, yeah. I think, because we spoke in 2016, so by yeah. then I had already 
released my book and so I'm still doing full-time illustration yeah um which has been really really phenomenal and you know doing that in a different country has not impacted my work so much okay um it's it's made things challenging in terms of being able to like go to an event or Mm. um do, mm-hmm. you know, book tours, things like that. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, still building the clientele, it's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else since then, <laughs> you know, really several books, became a mom twice over. <laughs> yeah, just um, a few things in there. That's all. Just a few things, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I feel yeah, like... It's been a, a jam. Yes. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a jam-packed two or four years. Really, when I think about it, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of stuff to, a lot of ground to cover in four years. It is. It is. So I guess one of my things, too, would be, um, you know, being a mother, and I think being a mother abroad, um, and now you, you just had a second child, you know, what is that like kind of living through motherhood right now during the pandemic? Um, how is that going? It's been very interesting. Um, <laughs> so we... Uh, you know, my my baby yeah. is just over two weeks old. So for a majority of this, I've been, you know, pregnant, been expecting. Um, and that was challenging because, I, I, you know, just being at home yeah, and, you know, quarantine. And we were all sick, too. So we don't know if we had oh, goodness. the virus. Yeah. But we were all sick for, it seemed like forever. Mm. Um, so that on top of pregnancy, on top of getting work done, on top of, you know, having a toddler at home, trying to, you know, keep him entertained and stimulated, it was really challenging. Mm. But, um, when I think about it, it was also, and I feel like a lot of people say this, but it really is, um, what feels like the benefit of, of us being together is spending that time, especially for my son before mm-hmm. having the baby come in and him having us to himself <laughs> yeah. for that time it was really, really, really good. And we potty trained him. Oh, that's oh, that's and... always good. <laughs> yeah. I remember like, potty training my daughter. I'm like, Ooh, once that's out of the way, you're <laughs> like, okay, awkward. you can stay in the family. We're good. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, little things like, and it's funny because I'm not a big baby shower person. Yeah. But now that I have a community here in Sweden, I was excited about getting some girlfriends together just maybe for like an afternoon tea or something just to kind of welcome the baby. And we couldn't do that. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, my mom was planning to come here to help out for the first month or so. And, you know, that was out. So yeah. those are some of the things that I just kind of, had to let go and say, okay, that's that's just the way it is for now. But it was challenging to accept that. Yeah, and I feel like even for, you know, for us here, it's been so different, you know, realizing, okay, my daughter's seven, she's not going to go back to school. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, really having to try to teach a seven-year-old how to type on a computer and try to do work. Oh, yeah. um, my husband's at home. It's just, it's definitely created, you know, it's chaos. But I think some of the fun mm-hmm. things have been like, Taco Tuesdays are a must, you know, yes. <laughs> movie night Fridays where we make pizza and we like pick out uh, names from a jar for like what movie we're going to watch. Like 
those have been fun like new traditions that you're like okay like we're gonna make this and these are things that I think we'll definitely keep after quarantine as well to kind of bring us together yeah I love that that's that's a lot of fun you got to do the movie night jar yeah (laughs) you find you find little things I mean just walking because we have a, a nice little patch of forest behind our building so just you know going for little walks there to avoid people yes and have our son just you know kind of pick rocks and flowers and things it was a nice little you know family outing daily yes um, so yeah you, you kind of make the most of it but <laughs> I don't know if you know or heard uh in Sweden they're handling things a little differently yes um which on the one hand I can appreciate, but on the other hand, it's a little scary. <laughs> well, right. Uh, yeah, because you know they're they're basically. Oh, I don't want to say this wrong, but ba- basically, it's like herd immunity. So they're trying to get more people to get the virus all at once, mm-hmm. so they could just knock it out. Yes. Um, but the they didn't anticipate as many deaths mm. as they did or as they're having. Yeah. Um, but then on the other hand, a lot of people are just kind of living life regularly. So there's no lockdown. They're, they are in, in, insisting on social distancing, but they're not making it a requirement. Um, so, you know, grocery stores are normally packed or you know, everything's the same. Yeah. Nothing's really different. Some hmm. like public transportation is empty but that's probably the only major difference and that's that sort of strategy too where like the elderly and those who are at risk should stay home but then like all businesses because i'm like i feel like i've seen this on the news all businesses and everybody else can kind of live as normal right but the problem is a lot of um people because they feel like they're not in the risk group. They're right. like, oh, you know, I could just do whatever. But then they're coming in contact with some people who are, you know, elderly and exposing them to the virus. Um, so I don't I don't think that people quite understand, like, okay, yes, you are probably okay, but you coming in contact with other people who are in the risk group. Yes. It's, it's a problem. Yeah, and um, I, I feel like we have the same... I'm here in Connecticut, and I think one of the things that's so troubling is that I do think people definitely exercise social distancing, um, but they don't exercise wearing masks. And so there's a lot of runners around here, and people run all the time. And, like, nobody ever thinks about what happens when you hit, like, the corners and the stoplights. And that's where you're kind of stuck, and someone just kind of runs by you, or they're jogging in place. And I'm like, yeah, but there's no mask, and we didn't have any distancing, (laughs) so... They had the little droplets flying. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm like, and you're just spreading it now, you know, yes. 13 miles down the street. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it, I mean, where we are, I, it's kind of good talking to someone else in another country, too, because I feel like even in America, depending on what state you're in, it feels like you're in another country. Um, yeah. With the way that this is kind of going, it's a little scary, to say the least. Yeah, it's- it's so it's really interesting because I know that a lot of people are watching us to see what's going to happen. Yes, and see if they can implement the same strategies. But the thing is, it's it's such a different country. Just you know, socially, culturally, yes. economically, you know, people just really trust the government. They um, really trust the the services and systems here, and it's a very small population. So maybe a state can implement. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. But the whole country, like, yes. Yeah. I think that's a good point. 
So um, my next question is, I wanted to talk about your new book, you know, Who Will You Be? Um, you know, what was the process like this time being the author and illustrator? I don't, I don't think this is your first time being in that role, but I just want to know, you know, how is it now with, with a new family and things writing this book? Yeah, well, actually, it is, it is my first time being the author and illustrator. Okay. Um, and the process, you know, the idea came as just after I gave birth to my first son. Mm. Um, so three months, about three months after I was having a conversation with uh, the editor that I work with at Random House, mm -hmm. um, just thinking about, you know, I have, I have this baby and there's all these things that I want to you know, teach him and show him mm, and mm -hmm. um, there's a community around him that's nurturing him. So we, we basically had an email back and forth and then we had a phone conversation. We're like, you know, what if, what if I create this book that's, you know, celebrating who he is and who he will become mm. and also the people who are nurturing that around him every day. Mm. Um, so that was kind of the, the beginning stage. And then I just started, doing some thumbnail sketches and sent them over, doing a little bit of writing, kind of going back and forth, which was a challenge because, you know, I had never written a children's book before and understanding the, like, the rhythm of yeah. the writing and, you know, making it short and concise. Um, so, you know, that was definitely a, a learning process. Yeah, because I think everybody thinks they can do it, um, right. but that is not true, and that's why that market is so tough to get into. <laughs> So true, so very true. Um, yeah, and then it's kind of a blur. <laughs> I think I, I was also working on, I believe, two other books at the same time. So, you know, just managing the schedule and like working on this project here and then that project there. So I think it was maybe over a year that I, mm. I did the, maybe a little less, but, you know, did the final illustrations and then it came out. Yeah, and now it's out. I saw I can get on Amazon. So is it like around the world we can get it now? Pretty much. Um, okay. Yeah, most bookstores. But I think I guess right now most bookstores are closed. So yeah, well I saw it on Amazon. Yeah, so yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Amazon, and then I think the Random House website has it. Okay. Listed where okay. you can purchase. Um, I think one of the other questions I had, because I think what's so interesting about your style is like when you do go into a bookstore, you have this really strong color palette, you know, the hand of your illustrations are always very bold. And so it always kind of stands out like I'm like, oh, my God, Andrea Pimpin's, you know, this is definitely one of her, her pieces. But then it's almost like when I started looking through your portfolio, you know, you could definitely see how you were kind of manipulating and changing it each time based on the topic um but it still always feels like you you know how do you find that balance between kind of reinventing yourself but making sure it still feels like your hand each time for these projects you know it's such a, a good question because i don't know <laughs> i think i think it really is to your point about the you know based on the content i think i let that kind of drive the direction a little bit yeah um, but i do have like a core color palette that I go to, you know, my, my work is, my intention is to create work that is celebratory and mm. fun and bright. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that always the color palette reflects that. Yeah. And then, um, you know, if I'm doing a, a piece for like a, I don't know, like ESPN or 
essence is going to have a little bit of an older yes. feel, but that's that's still celebratory. I guess essence <laughs> will, yeah. will be there. Um, so I think always going back to the same core intentions. Yeah. allows there to be a thread through my work hmm. but as you mentioned the content will always make it feel just a little bit different so yeah my yeah, daughter and I were looking at that piece that you did for ESPN um with Serena Williams and my daughter's like does she know her how did she draw her I'm like well she's you know I'm like Serena Williams is pretty famous and like people just you know you can find her picture online she's like right, did she right. meet her though I'm like I don't think so no <laughs> sorry I'm like, I can ask, but I don't think that came up. <laughs> um, so I think one of my next questions is like, what is one of the weirdest things you feel like you've adapted to um, with quarantine? I don't know. When I saw this question, I was like, I, I can't think of anything. Um... I feel like for me, one of the weird things I've gotten really used to for some reason is like, when is the postman coming? And I've never been that focused before on mail delivery, but now like I'm very engaged with where he's going, what packages, who's home. It's it's way more than I've ever cared for in my life. And also like listening to birds. We have birds like crazy in oh, Connecticut. Yeah. And now yeah. the bird sounds, I'm like, oh, I actually think I might be able to identify some birds for the first time. <laughs> oh, wow. Those are great examples. Um, <laughs> I guess the only thing I can think of is, I mean, this is something that most people are doing. Just, you know, we have our, our little masks yeah, ready to go. So yes. if we are going to go out, I mean, we don't typically go out where there's a lot of people. But if we have to, yeah, especially when I had my, um, my prenatal visits, you yeah. know, I still had to go in and, and go into these public spaces. So, you know, we have them, our masks hanging ready to go or you know ready to leave out so I think that would probably be the weirdest thing I agree I have like a little basket now by our front entrance in the console and I'm like mm -hmm. these are where the mask and the gloves go and I'm like yeah this is not normal but we now know like you have to grab this if you're going outside my last question um, that I want to ask you is one thing, what is one thing you've noticed that has remained consistent to you over the years to keep growing in your career um, and personally that kind of just keeps you grounded to keep creating? Mm. The one thing that comes to mind instantly is community. Mm. Um, whether it's, you know, the virtual community that I've built through the blog and social media or just, you know, my core community of friends, yeah. people who have supported me throughout the years, I think, or I know that I would not be able to do a lot of this work and do it successfully if I didn't have that community backing me. You know, yeah. I love my hair. Yes. It was extremely successful. Yeah. And I, I know it was the support of people, you know, sharing it and, you know, posting their images from the book and who had supported the the artwork that I, I created, you know, prior to the coloring book. Yeah. Um, those folks really like banded together and were like, we want this to be successful. And they, they made that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, still today people send me messages saying, I followed fly, I followed your blog, <laughs> or, you know, I want to share this artwork that you sold or, you know, 
this page from my coloring book or my child reading this book. Um, yeah. Those are the things that really inspire me and, and make me so happy. <laughs> and those are the things I know that also, you know, push me to do more. Yeah. And keep creating. No, my mother-in-law, um, she's from Baltimore and she has that coloring book. Um, and she absolutely loves it too. So, you know, she got her color pencils out and was like, oh, I'm doing this. So, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. absolutely. Um, so Andrea, that is our interview. I thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule with your family. Um, and just, you know, having to take care of a new life. Congratulations. Cause thank you so much. There are thank definitely you so good much things for, for reaching out. Yeah. For the follow up. I think that's, that's so fun. <laughs> four years. Yes. Four years. <laughs> Well, I hope you got some inspiration from these two authors. Andrea's latest book, Who Will You Be?, is available to purchase now at Amazon.com. And Marcus's book, you can pre-order, The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America, which will be released on October 13th of this year. To listen to more podcasts like this, subscribe and share with your friends and family. Bye-bye.